And welcome to the Crown Gridiron Nation podcast. I'm Jim Mullen on beautiful Bowen Island. Gord Randall joining us. Uh, where are you, Gord? What have you been up to? Uh, I am in Surrey, BC, where I work instead of my home in Langley. And I'm here in the middle of my workday teaching my bustling class of high school students here. Uh, so as you can see, uh, it's a good thing we got a teachers back in the classroom here this June because we were sorely needed. Yeah, I love the RCAF flag in there. Uh, Mike, what have you been up to? How have you been keeping busy? I've been busy. Um, you know, we're, we're lucky uh, with the Argonauts. We haven't succumbed to any of the layoffs so far uh, that some of the other CFL teams had. So uh, we're actually keeping busy trying to trying to keep this going. And, you know, the between the COVID issue and some of the events over the last couple of weeks south on the border, um, you know, it's, it's kept us busy and talking about how to improve our standing as a company in terms of race relations and uh, just just trying to understand both of these issues as, as we move forward and trying to get better as human beings. Well, speaking of uh, race relations and race issues, they kicked in big time in U.S. college football with our favorite Canadian and Cornish award winner Chuba Hubbard uh, on the day of taping today talking about uh, Mike Gundy wearing a certain t-shirt with uh, with a news agency that is uh, to the right wing is what Pravda was to the left wing back in the Soviet Union days. Uh, Mike Gundy wearing uh, a t-shirt promoting them and Chuba saying, I will not stand for this. This is completely insensitive to everything going on in society and it is unacceptable. I will not be doing anything with Oklahoma State until things change. That is a bomb of a tweet, probably the biggest bomb of the day. I'm gonna throw it to you first, Mike. Um, what sort of impact is this going to have? What does this say? Boy, uh, it says that you've got a coach right now who doesn't know how to read the room, uh, for one thing. Um, I, I don't get that. You know, the network, for those who don't know, is OAN. Um, you know, they make Fox News look like MSNBC. They're way off to the right. And you know, he took offense to that. And do I blame him? No. Um, and it's to the point now where shut up and dribble isn't happening anymore. And where Colin Kaepernick may have been silenced by the NFL. Now even the NFL has come forward and saying we screwed up. Uh, if you know the story behind it or have read that, uh, you know it wasn't exactly Roger Goodell's uh, initiative. It's a great story. If you haven't read it, go back and look that up. But, you know, I, I, I am flabbergasted by a coach doing that when I don't know, I would assume the majority of his athletes are African-American or African-Canadian um, in a couple of instances uh, at, at Oklahoma State. And he just misread the room. Um, just... I have no idea what he was thinking doing that. There's no problem. I have no problem if you are leaning toward the right. If you're a conservative, nothing wrong with that. I have no problem with anybody who's a moderate or leans to the left. But my God, with what everybody's going through right now, especially those on the south, you know, south of the 48th parallel, uh, think about what the hell you're wearing. It's just totally insensitive. Gord, your thoughts on this? I mean. A couple thoughts. Mike asked the question or made the comment about reading the room. And I think that that's in the last month or so with, with a couple of the issues going on with coronavirus and now with uh, the race relations issues in particular in the U.S., though I'm not, I shouldn't say it's just in the U.S. 
uh, we, I think we need to acknowledge that that's a thing in this country as well and, and make sure that our eyes are open to that too. But the one question I think I've asked myself more than anything looking at the sports world during this is like, are these guys reading the room? Like the amount of unforced errors from prominent sports figures, Gundy being the latest, uh, Drew Brees before that. Uh, we've had owners spout off. We've had NHL players. I mean, Brandon Prust put his foot in his mouth to put it lightly the other day too. I mean, all of these guys that are, it's it's one thing to have these opinions and I'll, I'll let, let's call a spade a spade here. I very strongly disagree with the majority of the basis of, of some of these more right-wing opinions that are coming out of the States. But as Mike was, I think, trying to get at, more to the point, just keep them to yourself right now. Like not, not every moment has to be, has to be about you. And, and I mean, when, when you're a college football coach and you're working with predominantly black athletes on your team, it's just – for starters, it shows that you're essentially saying, I don't really care what's going on with, with the kids on my team. And, and that's, that's, I think, how Chuba interpreted that message, uh, especially at a time like this. Because the other thing to point out, too, is this is not new for Mike Gundy. This did not come out of nowhere. Back in April, he had a, he had a pretty famous rant now about his views on coronavirus that was very unenlightened. And he specifically cited OAN as one of his sources of information uh, in that news conference. In fact, I think the quote from that news conference was, I like OAN because they're not trying to put a negative spin on everything and get everything, everybody down. They just tell the news. And I mean, I've seen snippets from OAN. That is the furthest from what OAN does. So that, that lack of critical thinking is concerning as well. But um, this is not new for Mike Gundy. He's, he's always been a very right-wing guy. He belongs in backwater Oklahoma for better or for worse. You know, there's a reason that as decorated of a coach as he's been, you don't hear his name bandied about for bigger jobs a lot. And that's because people kind of know who he is and he kind of needs to stay off to the periphery of sports. But this could be the beginning of a pretty seismic shift for him. And it's an indication of a trend in college football where the players are starting to take more of the impetus to assert their own rights and they're shifting that power balance. We saw another issue of Florida State a couple weeks ago where their coach essentially lied and put out a statement saying that he'd contacted every one of the players to speak to them about some of the social issues going on. And one of his captains immediately was like, he never talked to any of us and we're not going to work out anymore until he issues an apology and actually deals with it. Yeah. Ultimately he did deal with that pretty quickly. And, and I think that that's kind of started the snowball effect that continues with what, what's going on right now. And if I, if I can jump in here, um, you know, I'm sure some people are sitting there watching the three of us and saying, oh, great, two middle-aged white guys and a, a guy who's knocking on the door of middle age, um, you know, talking about race relations. And, you know, I, I'm a guy who always wants to learn what other people are thinking. And I saw uh, some some Facebook messages from a guy I'm friends with on Facebook who used to play with the Argos, a guy named Sammy Tranks, uh, born, you know, he's a black guy, lived uh, north side of Philadelphia, now living in Pittsburgh. And when, when George Floyd was killed, the tone of his messages changed dramatically. And this time it was different. So I phoned him up. We talked for about a half an hour, about 10 minutes sort of on the record. And then the two of us just talked to one another uh, from different you know, backgrounds. And you know, I'm a middle-aged white guy from Kingston, and he's from North Philly. And we just talked. And I wanted to, to look at different people from different backgrounds and how they're going through this. And I just put out a story with Isaiah Cage, who was the starting left tackle with the Argos last year, um, born on the south side of Chicago, grew up in gun violence, um, you know, lost, in his words, 10 people he knew really well 
to gun violence. His uncle was killed. Two of his high school teammates were killed by guns. And he wanted to become a cop since the time he was a kid. And after the George Floyd video, one that he admitted he can't watch, but after reading all of the accounts and listening to other people, he may have changed his mind. He took criminal justice at uh, Wisconsin-Eau Claire, where he was, you know, all conference three years. And, you know, he, he was really deeply disturbed by this, this one, you know, which is hard, hard to say because there have been so many. We just saw another high-profile one in Atlanta subsequent to the Floyd murder. Um, and, you know, just listening to the two guys that I've talked to so far, um, open up about this. This one's different. And I can see why more athletes now and more people of color, specifically from the black community, are really pissed about this. And, you know, instead of people just sniping back at somebody like Chuba Hubbard, the first question should be, why are you upset? What is different this time? And I started scrolling through some of the responses to his tweet um, I didn't see one person asking that question. And there's, there, sadly now we're in, it seems especially south of the border, we're in an era where you're right, you're wrong, you're left, you're right, you're black, you're white, and there's no meeting ground. And, you know, what, what I would hope Chuba Hubbard's comments would do would be to spark some conversation. I don't know if that's going to happen. I hope it does, but I don't know if it will. He cites the word change and change has been used, uh, uh, through this uh, wave of protest, what kind of change can we realistically expect in this case? Is it, is it a change in culture? Is it a change in coaching? What sort of change do you think will the result be out of this one reaction? And I'll send that to you, Gord, first, and the mic you follow up. Well, at the risk of putting words into Chuba's mouth, I think what he's looking for here is for it to spark a conversation within that program about how to move forward and, and to have an actual open dialogue. And I, and I think that again, touching on what I touched on earlier, that this is not new for Mike Gundy. I think for, for Chuba, this is, he's seen a couple things recently that have made him realize that, that his coach is not listening to the things that people, people are trying to tell them. Uh, and, and it's people of you know Chuba's culture. Chuba is a black athlete himself. And so I'm, I believe when he says change, and he said it in his tweet in all caps, uh, I don't know that he's saying I won't play for Oklahoma State until U.S. society changes on the whole. I think he wants the atmosphere in that room and, and the, the attitude of the guy leading the shift, leading the ship, sorry, to change because uh, his continued support for some of these more right-wing networks. And I will note, by the way, OAN as a network, referred to the Black Lives Matter group as a terrorist group, as a criminal organization. That's something that that network has said. So if, if your head coach thinks that and you're a black athlete, how, how would you feel about the way that he views you? Uh, and, and so I think that that's, I don't, I don't know that she was shooting for anything necessarily outside their own locker room or athletic facilities, but I do think that he wants a dialogue to open up and he wants the change to be that his head coach he feels is actually listening to his athletes. I don't know how many guys are in or you know on or around campus right now, but it's imperative for the coach, the coaches to chat. It's imperative that Gundy specifically talks to his players via Zoom. Uh, I would hope he'd do some one-on-ones. I, I really just just 
try to have that one-on-one -on -one dialogue and address the group as a whole, because I can see this getting pretty nasty if, if they don't nip this now. Um, you know, you've got players who have very strong opinions on this, on both sides of the issue. Um, and, you know, this is an issue that could rip apart a locker room. And I'm not even going to talk about this from a bigger social, uh, you know, sort of culture. I'm going to talk about this from, just from a football perspective first. You better get that room together. Um, and if you, if you get a split here, now you've got a problem. And, you know, I, I think that Gundy would have to do some self, you know, evaluation as well and talk to Chuba first and foremost. That's got to be his first call. Why are you so upset about this? and let him talk about it. And then maybe Gundy says, you know what, maybe this was insensitive and I didn't think it was at the time. Here, here's what, uh, he, what was his quote during COVID that, you know, here's a network that doesn't go left or right. It doesn't give opinion, it just gives the news. Um, you know, to paraphrase, that's, that's what he said about OAN. And, um, you know, it, 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 like Gord said, it wasn't the first time that he's had this problem with, uh, with supporting this network and this is backfiring on him. He's got to talk to Chuba. He's got to talk to anybody like uh, his teammate and fellow Canadian, uh, Eamon Odbogamiga, who, who says the same thing. You know, I, I support Chuba. And he's got to talk to anybody uh, who has come out in support of the running back and, and talk about why they are so upset up this, this time. But especially, he's got to talk to Chuba. Yeah, I mean, independent of the snowball effect of dealing with the entire locker room, uh, Chuba Hubbard alone like Chuba has, let's make no mistake here, guys. Chuba has all the leverage in this situation. A lot of people thought that he was going to declare for the draft this year and he decided to come back. So that was a bonus uh, for the Oklahoma state program. I believe that if Chuba Hubbard were to be fed up and choose to sit out this season, he would still be a day two pick at minimum in next year's NFL draft. That's my belief. Now there has been some talk come up since this started about the possibility of Chuba now applying for the NFL supplemental draft. I doubt that that would be something that would materialize even if he were to pursue it because the NFL has made clear that the supplemental draft is for players that for uh, because of extenuating circumstances such as academic ineligibility, having to make sure that they're in position to graduate, potential injury issues. That's what the supplemental draft is for, not necessarily a player changing their mind because they no longer want to stay in college, which I believe is how the league would view this decision. Um, so I think that that's probably off the table but that it is something that's being bandied about but look at the response to this message from Chuba Hubbard already and you can see the kind of profile that this guy has in in football circles in the states basically every major national college football writer has already commented on weighed in on this and shared it uh, and same with a lot of the national NFL beat reporters as well so make no mistake this is not just the average player calling out his coach this is one of the most high profile players in college football right now calling out his coach and worth noting, not only did Amen Ogbong Pumiga, their leading tackler and best linebacker uh, back up Chuba immediately. So has the entire Oklahoma state offensive line publicly backed Chuba Hubbard in this. So when you talk about a divided locker room, you know, the, the lines are already being drawn in the sand right now. And as a coach, you need to, you need to definitely do some work to get that back together. Hey, let's uh, switch focus now to Canada and what's happening uh, up here. And we've got some people, some alumni groups, and one conference that still seem to be committed to playing football still. Uh, even though the Canada West, the OUA, and the AUS have basically shut down operations for the fall. 
first of all, let's uh, tackle the options that, that are in front of the football community. Maybe, maybe six, maybe seven teams, if the RSEQ doesn't start up, uh, might have options of playing a string of non-conference games. Uh, the OUA, from what I understand, is looking at something of a spring schedule and a spring showcase for those teams who can compete. And we know that uh, a couple of athletic departments have had mass layoffs already and some sizable cutbacks. What options are on the table right now for any collegiate football being played in this country? And I'll go to you first, Mike. Uh, sim games? I don't know. It's, it's going to be tough. You know, obviously nothing in the fall. Um, we know that unless, of course, there are going to be some rogue teams that want to get together and play some uh, quote-unquote exhibition games, for lack of a better term, uh, which is going to be damn expensive if you get uh, teams from, you know, out west and down east and Ontario all trying to book flights and trying to do that and availability of hotels and just, just everything. It's all going to change, obviously. Uh, one would think in the next couple of months regardless but you know i don't know like i work in the cfl i don't know i don't know what our schedule looks like i don't know what the what the oua is going to look like or can west or quebec is, or au I, I i don't know and that's difficult and i think that obviously had to weigh into the discussions and the thought processes of of those who are you know in charge of those different conferences but Man, you know, the spring football, we talked about it in, in, in kind of our, our mid-season uh, podcast earlier, and uh, spring football doesn't work for me. Uh, it just doesn't because, you know, if unless you're going to play through exams uh, in the spring, that's not going to happen. You're not going to play outdoor football even in a condensed season. You're not going to play outdoor football in February in Regina. That's not going to make sense or anywhere in the country. Uh, it just it, it 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 doesn't make sense. So either you get some sort of uh, you know renegade league or just teams that want to take the risk uh, and play against each other. That's the only way that I can see football working in the fall, and I don't see it working at all in the spring. Sadly, do you see an option out there, Gord, for uh, some of these alumni groups, some of the teams in Quebec who have pledged? that uh, they're going to find a way to uh, play some football, including bishops who are in the AUS, to find a way to play some football? Um, or is it down to the cost of insurance, the liability, the money that's being pulled out of some of these programs by administration? Is that a hurdle that is just too high to clear? I, I think that it might be. Um... And I think you hit the nail on the head with insurance. I mean, as as viewers, regular viewers of this show well know, I'm a high school football coach out here in BC too. And we're having these same discussions at the high school level. And my personal viewpoint on the matter is at our level is that I just do not see a circumstance in which we can satisfy uh, the return to sport regulations uh, to the extent where a school district is not going to step in and go, no, this is too risky for us. And then that parents aren't going to step in and say, no, like uh, we're not comfortable with our son playing anymore. Uh, so, I mean, those, those two factors are not necessarily at play at the U sports level, but insurance is a huge, huge factor across the country. Uh, there have been numerous instances of insurance companies saying, you know what the risks are regarding COVID and what high risk activities are. If you knowingly participate in them anyway, we're going to come after you. Uh, and so that's uh, a, a big time hurdle. 
Uh, and I also think the budget's a huge, a huge hurdle as well. And when people look at the economics of this, they have to understand too that the schools are losing on both ends. Okay? A lot of these universities, UBC is a, is a shining example of that. The international student tuition fees that UBC typically brings in are at the lifeblood of that university right now, as much as we hate to admit it because it's called the University of British Columbia, their reliance on students coming in from overseas and paying those nice hefty international tuition fees to come in. Well, that has been lost almost entirely, not just this spring, but will be again for next fall. That is a massive chunk out of the budget of that university. And whatever money they're putting into athletics is now gonna have to be clawed back because they're not bringing in that revenue. And that's on top of the revenue that athletics can't possibly bring in anymore. So. There's a huge budget shortfall looming at a lot of these universities as well. That's going to be a big hurdle for them too. I mean, I, I think a hub city concept would be kind of cool, except that it's going to cost too much money. I mean, you you post up, you know, the Canada West teams in a city like, you know, Kamloops, BC or Medicine Hat, Alberta and have them play at a neutral site there. That would be something that would work out really well. They're not tied to campus for classes, except that it's very expensive to do so. And a lot of them are just not going to have the budget to do that. So I, I there's, let, let me put it this way. It's a very steep uphill climb for us to see any football in, in this country. And it's certainly not any meaningful football uh, this year. So, uh, Mike, your thoughts? Well, maybe they can use the TV money. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I just don't. Like you say, and uh, Jim, I heard you on Rod Peterson's show on Monday as well, talking about the, the cost and how how it becomes prohibitive at some point. And I just, I don't know how they do this. I just, I, I, I wish, I wish there was an answer out there. And this isn't college football in the States where you have that massive television contract where you don't even need fans in the stands. And, you know, let's say you're drawing 4,000 a game for your, for your team and you're charging $10 a ticket just to make the math easy. You know, if there's 40,000 a game, it's, 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 it's really difficult to think you know, without even that money, how much more expensive this becomes? Because you know, forty grand in the United States is a drop in the bucket, but to a program in Canada, it's a hell of a lot of money. And if you do that two, two times a year, three times a year, uh, even in a shortened schedule, it's a lot of money uh, that, that you're leaving on the table when you need money probably now more than ever on a on a uh, you know with a program that's trying to add more coaches uh, and pay them as opposed to getting fewer. It's a mess. It's going to hurt. I just, I just hope we can kind of, you know, since it seems to be the way they're going, flush this season at this level and get ready for 2021. And you know, what do you do? Do you do you add a year for players who would come back for their fifth year, which means they're coming back for at least a half a year in their sixth year in university? Um, man, it's it's a mess right now. It's 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 messed up a lot of people's lives and. You know, obviously there are a lot more serious concerns with this thing than football, but for a lot of people, football is uh, is their way of life. Uh, it is how they make their money. It is their passion. It is what they expect to do for the next few years as a professional in some cases. So it, it's it's really tough to see this happen, but it's it's totally understandable. And I just don't see how you get back. It's just financially at this stage, it just is going to be too tough. There's a website in the United States right now that is tracking the number of sports that are being dropped by NCAA institutions through this time of COVID. The number is over 80. It's not just football. It's a number of other sports. In some cases, these small liberal arts colleges are just actually shutting down and, of course, taking all their sports with them. We're at an interesting juncture right now. 
in terms of within the football community, we're having some great discussions because we're thinking outside of the box. The walls of the silos are coming down. The discussions that I'm worried about right now are the discussions within university administration. When they take a look at their bottom lines and they have their own discussion that's not associated with athletics, but could target athletics, how much of a risk in your mind do you think we have of actually losing teams across this country? You know, and that builds well into my opinion, too. I do think that there's, there's a risk of that occurring. Uh, and, and what I was going to jump in and, and say there is that uh, I think we need to consider what the possible implications are of this decision and this situation for U Sports as an organization. Uh, they're currently without a CEO after Graham Brown stepped down last month. So they're looking to fill a vacancy in that position. They don't have a football season running right now. They've put out that statement. They have economic woes. They have TV issue woes. Uh, you can look on multiple sides of the coin here, look at it optimistically and say, hey, look, maybe this is the opportunity, the jolt that this sport needed to really revisit and rethink what it is that we're doing and how these things need to be properly structured to maximize what we're doing. But at the same time, on the pessimist side of things, uh, you have a, a bit of a leadership vacuum without a CEO at the top of the organization. And you have a lot of schools that are hurting and hanging on by a thread right now uh, with, with looming uncertainty in the future. So, uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of challenges ahead, but uh, if we can stay the course, I do think optimistically that this could be that impetus for revisiting the systems that we currently have in place and finding out how we can improve and move this sport forward and, and essentially do exactly what this program has been, has been advocating for for as long as I've been on this program. So um, it, it would be, it could potentially be a, a sliver of hope uh, for people that think that systemic change might be needed. Um, I, I just, I hope that we can get that far. What, what I am hoping, guys, is, you know, the, one of the major fundraisers that these university programs have is, is the annual dinner. And, you know, those were canceled in the spring. And, you know, that can be anywhere 50 to $100,000 for some schools, depending on, on, you know, how deep pocketed the, the alumni is and how generous they are. And, you know, it, they won't get that money back unless they have one in the fall. And, and hopefully we're to the point uh, where we can start having you know, gatherings of that size in the fall. And maybe if this is canceled, maybe this is an opportunity for every program to maybe get a little bit of a kickstart as well. Have one of these in the fall, have one of these in the spring, have one of, have a golf tournament next summer and, and put a little bit more money in the coffers and, and play catch up for what you lost this year. Um, you know, it's, I think it's going to be incumbent upon alumni, especially if they have a passion for university football to dig a little deeper and give a little bit more maybe than they would have in previous years. And uh, I know for a lot of alumni, maybe that's tough because they've gone through some tough circumstances financially during this crisis. But, you know, those who can give, um, you know, I think it's up to every school to try and milk the, the, the really generous ones as much as they can, um, just because they're going to need the dough going forward. At a time when there's no football, there's plenty of football news, isn't there? I think we're going to... Uh probably circle the wagons and do this uh, again in the off season, maybe in about a month's time. But for now, uh, Mike and Gord, thanks very much. And folks, you've been watching or listening to the Crown Red Iron Nation podcast.